0: Deborah Q&A The other Sunday I preached on Judges 4, which is the story of Deborah, Barak, and Jael, who are all used by God to deliver God's people from cruel oppression. As per usual, I offer to answer questions on the sermon, and the questions are sent in by text message. The content of the passage touches on a couple areas of particular interest, and so I had a few multi-part questions come in. Given the time needed to address these questions with care, I opted not to answer them on the spot, and instead I give them here. Question. What does this wartime ethic look like for us? Can we lie in similar circumstances? This question flows from JL's use of deception to lull Sisera into a false sense of security so that she could assassinate him. Jael is lauded in multiple ways for this. Firstly, it is implied she gets the victory glory for this in Judges 4.9. And she is named the most blessed of women in Judges 5 verse 24. All this for her actions. Jael is part of a tradition of women who, in extreme circumstances, use deception to protect God's people. See Hebrew midwives and Rahab. God is truthful. He wants his people to be truthful. And we are consistently reminded that lying is a path to ruin. Bearing false witness against your neighbor, that is, lying in court about something or destroying somebody's reputation with lies, is particularly heinous. So, we have two seemingly competing ideas presented in scripture. Don't lie, but some people are blessed for deception. So, which is it? The traditional way to understand this is there is an allowance for deception in what we call wartime ethics. These ethics flow out of a biblical worldview. For instance, ordinarily it's not okay to kill someone. It would be considered murder unless it's capital punishment. However, in a just war, it is okay to kill the enemy in order to save others. Ordinarily, it's not okay to deceive someone. However, if somebody is unjustly trying to attack people, it's okay to mislead protect others and defeat the enemy. This means in wartime, people do things like camouflage their weapons, hide from enemy radar, etc. They trick the enemy into thinking that their force is smaller or larger than it really is. We feed false intel to the bad guys to destabilize them, and so on. Under the Nazi regime, Nazi regime, Some people, including Christians, hid Jews to save them from the state, and they lied to the governing authorities about this. Most people conclude that the liars were right to do this, just like Rahab and the Hebrew midwives. Some Christian theologians have argued that it's never okay to lie, and the biblical stories are just examples of God bringing good out of sinful actions. Given that Jael is called most blessed among women for her courageous actions, and none of the women who act this way are admonished for their deception, I find it hard to agree with the lying is a sin in every circumstance assessment. For the Christian, living in a world opposed to God, is such deception ever warranted? In my opinion, I would say sometimes, but with these cautions. Firstly, it needs to be a clear case. If there is any doubt in your conscience before God, then do not do it. Second, never for personal advantage. We are not free to deceive whenever we want to get our own way. Third, never against our neighbor. That is, we only deceive the clear enemy of God's people. And yes, everybody is our neighbor. But in wartime scenarios, we prioritize the innocent or weak neighbor whom we are protecting above the neighbor who is attacking, oppressing, you know, in the wrong. Fourth, it needs to be a matter of life and death. This is the example of Jael, Rahab, the Hebrew midwives, Israelite battle strategy, Ehud, and others in the scriptures. It is a matter of life or death for God's people, and deception seems to be their only option. And fifth, we should ask, would deception here undermine our witness to the truth? Some Christians are very settled in their conviction to deceive, to smuggle Bibles, or to use a work visa to enter another country, primarily for the purpose of evangelism. Is this life and death? Well, kind of. People are dying without the gospel of life every day. It is an area where people land in different places in good conscience, and it deserves good consideration so that we are settled in conviction for when we are faced with similar dilemmas. Much smarter minds than me have considered this topic, so you may wish to read further afield on the issue of Christian wartime ethics and perhaps just war theory. It is relevant for both our spiritual walk as Christians and our communal life as a nation. Question. If God raised up Deborah to highlight Israel's, in brackets, Barak's failure, then why is Barak, rather than Deborah, mentioned in Hebrews 11? Each of the five judges mentioned, in fact most of the people in the whole chapter of Hebrews 11, are deeply flawed characters. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and Samuel each have dark blights against their name, in summary respectively cowardice, withheld obedience, sexual sin, rash promises, and poor parenting. Yet despite this, God still used them wonderfully. As awful as each of these guys were in some respects, God still used them by faith to accomplish great deeds. In Barak's case, while he had a bad start in our story, he finished well, he obeyed, he and God used him mightily. I think the author of Hebrews is deliberately drawing out flawed characters, including others like Rahab, David, Moses and Abraham, to show how God still works by faith, even in people who have made big mistakes. Our heroes of the faith are messed up, just like us, so we too can be encouraged to follow their example of faith despite our own failures. As to why Deborah doesn't get a mention, I can't say, other than time would fail, the author of Hebrews, to tell of all the heroes of the faith, including Deborah. There's a cross-reference there to Hebrews 11:32. Question: How can women in the church today be assured that fulfilling slash obeying, whatever God calls them to in ministry, is powerful, needed, treasured, and valued, rather than God's second choice because they aren't obeying, or worse, that they're an indictment on the church? Firstly, I would note that obedience is always an indictment, that is, an allegation of wrongdoing, toward those who are disobedient. The faithless are uncomfortable with the faithfulness of others because it reveals their own failures. Deborah, or anybody's faithfulness, is going to be a light in the midst of the dark and it will reveal the shortcomings of others. And while we always want everybody around us to be faithful, it is better to be a pillar of faithfulness and thus an indictment on others rather than to join in with the sinfulness around us. Next, the way that anyone, woman or man, can be assured that our ministry is good is by God approving it. God gives us a wide zone of joy in which to serve him. And he gives us boundaries, just like at the start in the Garden of Eden. So all of us are called to serve, that is minister, in God's church with our gifting and generosity within the boundaries that God has placed for our good and mutual benefit. Women are called to serve Christ's church, heroically and faithfully, like Deborah, the Marys, Sarah, Jael, Rahab, Sapphira, Dorcas, and many others. The value and power of that ministry is given by God and should be rightly recognized and applauded by others. Yet, Like many Christian ministries down through the ages, for example, Jeremiah, we may be mocked and hated for our faithfulness and obedience. Although we would love the recognition and appreciation for our ministry from those around us, there may unfortunately be long seasons where our only consolation comes from the Lord, even among those who say they serve God. We must push on faithfully through every season, leaning on him as our comfort and assurance. There are times when there is a vacuum others aren't obeying and your faithfulness may look like you're out of bounds. However, it could be that actually your service is good, but the context around you has changed. Let's say I'm providing CPR to someone while I wait for a paramedic. I'm not God's second choice. I'm God's first choice for this time. Yes, a paramedic will be better in the future, and a surgeon perhaps better again, but right now I am God's provision. I'm not claiming to be a paramedic, not trying to do all the things that paramedics are trained to do, but I'm the best thing that the patient has and God's gift to them in that moment. Now, obviously, this is an example where I'm not the best person for the job, but there are many areas of service where you will be the best person for the job, either because you are a woman or regardless of your gender. And our word on calling. Some people mean different things by the word calling. God has set down in writing what we are called to. It is objective and non-negotiable. We do, however, sometimes use the word calling to refer to how providentially and with the Spirit's gifting, we are enabled for a particular kind of ministry. As we try to discern this secondary type of calling, we can rest assured that it will never act us Sorry. It will never call us to act contrary to God's clear commands. If you are working in God's church in accordance with both of these callings, you are most faithful and blessed. Now, please note, the temptation for some women, especially those tied up with wonderful but weighty responsibilities to their family, is to hear this discussion about serving God in the church and think, I'm failing because I have so little time and resources to serve with. In different times and seasons, your family needs may impede your ability to serve in certain ways in the church, but you are not shortchanging Jesus or his church. You are serving Jesus and his church by serving your family. That said, some will use family as an excuse not to serve. So examine your heart before the Lord and see if you are withholding obedience. So to directly answer the question... Women in the church today can be assured that fulfilling and obeying whatever God calls you to in ministry is powerful, needed, treasured, and valued, not God's second choice. Your faithfulness may be an indictment on others, but it is better for you to be faithful, and perhaps you will be the example that, others, uh, that brings others to repentance. Question. Could the current women leaders slash pastors movement be an indictment on the church? If yes, are there any particular differences between our day and Deborah's? Assuming she was not punished or wrong for taking a man's role in the narrative in Judges. Let me first comment on the last part of that question, the bracketed section. I don't think Deborah was in the wrong at all. There was nothing to punish. She was the faithful one. She was a prophetess, which was not at issue. Although not as common as male prophets, prophetesses were given messages from God and used by him. Uh, Quote, Deborah is called a prophetess, one of five such women in the Old Testament, cross-reference Miriam in Exodus 15-20, Huldah in 2 Kings 22-14, Isaiah's wife, Isaiah 8 verse 3, and Noadiah, a false prophetess in Nehemiah 6 verse 14, end quote, from the ESV Study Bible page 445. The text is not clear about how Deborah took on the role of a judge. My gut feel is that Deborah became a judge organically, like the rest of the judges. I reckon she was doing her job as a prophetess and that she gained a reputation for speaking God's truth as well as being known as wise and trustworthy. With the dearth of faithfulness and God's truth in that time, people would have sought her out for help with a wide variety of issues and she became the port of call for important matters. My assertion is that such wisdom and faithfulness was a rarity. The problem isn't that Deborah was the best at what she did, but that the people who should have been leading in their society, like Barak, were not up to scratch. An example. Imagine a home where a husband and wife should be king and queen over the kingdom that is their household. The husband shirks his duty and does not provide spiritual leadership. Yet the wife labors on faithfully trying to teach the kids the faith. She's not usurping, she's just being faithful, and her faithfulness is exemplary. From one direction, it might look like she's trying to take the lead over her husband, but that's not the reality. And I think Deborah was a spiritual mother to Israel in the absence of any good fathers. A related example. In churches sometimes, particularly small churches, we can see this phenomenon A church where there are very few people who really know how to read the Bible, and the rest of the church are quite spiritually immature those who can help others understand the truth are going to become de facto leaders, whether they be men or women. There's no one else to do the job, and the people in this position have not claimed it or sought it. God is providentially using them for a season to help God's people without those people trying to usurp spiritual authority. They await with eager longing the day that biblical church leadership is established among them. So, coming back to the first part of the question. Yes, the current women slash, uh, women leaders slash pastors movement is an indictment on the church because it highlights a divergence between what God has said and what is happening around us. As we talk about this, it has nothing to do with men versus women or men trying to bring down women. It is entirely about trying to be faithful men and women who make up the Holy Church of Christ. We are all made in the image of God with equal value and dignity, yet complementary in nature and function. We need to work together as God intends for us, not to be opposed to one another in a war of the sexes. Much of who we are in two genders overlaps as common to all humanity, yet in the areas of church leadership and public teaching, God has assigned it to certain qualified men. Men and women have gendered assignments that the other cannot take on, and each gender finds great blessing in trying to live the way that God made us and instructs us to be. The female pastor movement is an indictment in two possible ways. Firstly, the possibility is that the men have neglected their faithful obedience, and thus there is no one to lead. If there are no men who fit God's qualifications for leadership, what are we to do? The second possibility is that women have usurped a position that God has not given them. From the curse, we know that there was going to be leadership strife in families, and I think that strife is a reality in some church families too. One or both of these possibilities are a reality in different churches around the country and around the world. So I think it's a bit of both. In some ways, our times are like Deborah's day, but also distinctly different. Our society has walked away from God, and there are fewer and fewer places where the truth is proclaimed. Many of us have checked out and are withdrawing from society, unwilling to serve our neighbors. But in the midst of the faithlessness, we need voices like Deborah's that clearly share God's word and call others to submit to God's way. At a guess, I would say that the current trend of diminishing sexual distinction and masculinizing women was not an issue in Deborah's day. So it's a bit... Of both. Some ways we are similar, some ways we are very different. Men and women tend toward different sins in areas related to our gender, including in the area of church leadership. For men, there is usually the the temptation in one of two directions, either leadership abused or leadership shirked. For women, it's often leadership undermined or leadership usurped. I'm generalizing, of course, but I'm just pointing out that it's a collective problem. Although female pastors in the church is an issue, it's not the biggest issue or the sur- source of all our ills. It is a symptom of the wider problem of being unwilling to submit to God. Idolatry is our problem. We need the Lord to soften our hearts, enable repentance, and forgive us for the way that we have stubbornly ignored him for so long. May he save us from ourselves before we are oppressed anymore.